Since the telecommunications are amongst the first needs that we can encounter on the field, both for the affected communities, but especially for the coordination of the humanitarian response. So we try to get there as fast as we can and then support both the international community and the local management agencies. This is Digital Communicators, the comms focus show for the tech sector. Hello and welcome to the Babel podcast. Today I am delighted to be joined by Armando Samajoa, who is the representative for Latin America and the Caribbean for Telecom Sans Frontieres. TSF is a charity for which Babel has been working on a pro bono basis for more than three years. So it's really great to have Armando with us today. Armando, perhaps you could kick off by telling us a bit about your role at TSF. How long have you been working with the company? And what does the company do? Yeah, thank you, Simon. I'm very happy to be here with you. TSF is an international humanitarian non-governmental organization. It's based in France and has a regional response both for uh, Europe, uh, the Middle East, and Africa. That's one. Then we have another one for Asia, the Pacific, and one more for Latin America and the Caribbean, where I'm based at. Our main mandate is to support uh, affected communities and also humanitarian responders with emergency telecoms capacity and also the adaptation of information and telecommunication technologies for humanitarian purposes. We are also partner of the United Nations, specifically to the Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, as UNDAC support partners. UNDAC, it's the teams that are deployed to evaluate and coordinate uh, emergencies. And we are also members of the Emergency Telecommunication Cluster. I started with DSF in 2011. As a practitioner, I was studying a European Master on Humanitarian Action. And that's where I got to know TSF. And then I asked them if I could uh, have an internship with them. And I was sent to Nicaragua for about six months. And then I was formally engaged the year after in 2012. And I've been representative for this region, for Latin America and the Caribbean since 2014. Two years in Nicaragua. And then from 2016, we've moved the regional response ball to Mexico. From here, we can deploy to any country in Latin America or in the Caribbean. We have a roster of about 10 volunteers who can move with us to any emergency, along with people sent from the headquarters. So from here, we're able to deploy on the field as fast as we can. So once there's an emergency, we can move within 24 to 48 hours to be there. Since the telecommunications are amongst the first needs that we can encounter on the field, both for the affected communities, but especially for the coordination of the humanitarian response. So we try to be there as fast as we can and then support both the international community and the local management agencies so they can communicate and then coordinate. So that's our traditional role since the organization started in 1998. But then from Mexico, we also run some long-term projects using new technologies for humanitarian or social purposes. We have one project that started in 2018, bringing informative screens to migrant shelters. So people passing by those shelters can get information on their human rights, routes, the dangers, 
legal assistance, etc. And we can we linked uh, with this information. Other organizations provide their other kind of support, medical assistance, calls, psychosocial support, etc. Clearly, one of the biggest global crises at the moment is the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Can you tell us a bit about the role that TSF is playing in supporting those people in Ukraine? We've been in Ukraine and neighboring countries since the start of the crisis or since the incursion from Russia to Ukraine. We've sent first a reconnaissance team that just started to set up the basis of what the mission will look like. So currently we have two people working in Ukraine, also working with other humanitarians on connectivity for most strategic sites, supporting, as I said, both the population and other humanitarian responders. We also have people in neighboring countries, in Poland and in Romania. In Poland, we are launching a pilot project similar to what we do in Mexico, so with informative screens for international displaced populations, so people coming from Ukraine and getting assisted by the United Nations or other organizations, and so they can get all the information that they might need to settle in Poland. And then in Romania, we have a project also coordinated with the United Nations to provide connectivity in the buses that transports people from Ukraine to Romania. So they can stay connected even if the mobile network has been cut off or while crossing the border as well. So they do not lose communication. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it. So Armando, when a, a crisis breaks, whether it's an earthquake, a humanitarian crisis, a conflict between two nations, how does TSF get involved? What's the kind of pipeline of the crisis response for TSF? First, we assess the impact of the event. Of course, if it's seven points earthquake or higher, and it's near to a populated area, like we do not hesitate and we move as fast as we can. Then if it's another type of event, such as a hurricane or other type of natural disaster, we get in contact with local contacts and start assessing on the affected population needs, but also on the responder needs. So we can decide to deploy ourselves and move as fast as we can. Or we can also be called by one of our partners, being now the United Nations, but it could be also other humanitarian organizations, the Red Cross, for them to have telecommunication support to run their own operations or the coordination of the response. So if we are called, then we deploy with them or we can do both also. We can have some people dedicated to support the United Nations or other humanitarians and other people coordinating our own response. Then we get to the field and we continue assessing. And then as soon as we identify some need, then we move with our equipment, which is lightweight, so we can move it with one or two people and then just start providing service. Yeah, that's normally uh, how it's done. Then there are some other type of crisis, long-term or protracted complex crisis. For those type of crisis, then we take our time to really assess the needs and then coordinate with other responders already working on that environment and try to make ourselves as useful as possible, but complementing what's already being done. Thank you, Armando. So when it comes to the crisis at hand, how does TSF respond and 
perhaps change your requirements to the particulars of the incident that you face? Every response needs an adaptation from our end. So even if we decide to deploy it as fast as we can uh, on the way to the, uh, to the field, we keep assessing the needs and we try to coordinate with other responders. So every time we try to bring our capacity where it's most, most needed, and we also coordinate with other telecoms, uh, emergency telecoms uh, responders. Uh, as I've said at the beginning, we are part of the emergency telecoms clusters guided by the United Nations World Food Program. So we coordinate with these actors being uh, UN agencies and other NGOs and try to see where our capacity is needed the most and combine with the capacity of others. So we might split our team into two or three cells, supporting the coordination, also the local communities. We sometimes bring additional capacity to the field. Some of our financial partners have the capacity to send in-kind support also in that equipment. And we can switch, for example, from using one portable antenna in one coordination hub. If we have other capacity sent to the field, we can bring this capacity that it's more of a fixed solution and then take our mobile capacity to another place to support the population or to assess other needs. So we're always moving and trying to meet the needs where they are more urgent. We also have the capacity to support other organizations, as I've said. So we sometimes lend the equipment when we don't have the capacity to go ourselves with other uh, humanitarians. So we can train them like very quickly on the use of the equipment and lend to them so they can, for example, if they are moving to dangerous zones or uncovered zones, they might need a satellite phone or, or a portable a terminal. So they can be secure, they can send information, and then we are also flexible. We don't need to have the equipment returned to us on the field, so it could be at the end of their mission, they can send it to our headquarters, to our regional bases. Yeah, so that, that's how we adapt. So probably all the capacity that we have, we try to see where it's most needed. And even if we leave the field, most of the time we leave some capacity behind and we keep supporting the responders that remain because normally we come really fast to be active on the relief phase of the emergency, but not all of the time we remain on the field for the recovery phase, but we do leave capacity behind and we keep supporting remotely. Sometimes we do rest, we leave people assessing the remaining needs and we do coordinate for the recovery phase. And then we might come back few weeks after to start another type of response. So that's the case for Ukraine. For example, we went there on relief. We left someone behind to assess other needs to build alliance, etc. And then a few weeks after, we sent another team and we have now local teams in Ukraine and Poland and Romania. I had a look at your website and you've got a very impressive, widespread corporate network of partners, the likes of Thales, AT&T, Imarset. Can you outline the role of those partners? And if other companies that are listening into this podcast want to get involved, how can they do that? Yes, we are supported by these, uh, by these companies, very important companies. I think the most important part is being 
independent and very quick to respond to any type of emergency. The support that they give us, it's not conditioned. So we are completely independent on taking our own decisions so we can assess the situation and decide to go even if the international community is not deploying and we have the means to do so. Every time we can go, we can move as many people, as many equipment as we need to and be on the field yeah, as fast as we can. So this type of free to use, so to speak, the financial support give us this independence. And then we can remain active on the field without depending on any other financial supports for this relief phase of the emergency. So uh, up to six, eight weeks, 10 weeks, we can be on the field. And some of the companies also give us, as I said, uh, in-kind support, being that also units like airtime. And this airtime can also be used on the field, the satellite, which is very expensive for others. So other organizations might come with equipment, but, they, but then they are limited to what they can spend on the field on connectivity. And we are not. So we can use it for our own operations, but also for the support we give to others. We can even use this kind of support on others' equipment as long as it is compatible. This is very important. And we also have conversations with our partners on research and development projects also. So we work together on developing some solutions as well that might work on the field. We exchange with them, we test the solutions, and they also participate sometimes on capacity building projects that we are running to, to support responders, humanitarian responders on some countries or regional responders. And they might come to the trainings and work with us also on pro bono basis and reaching the content of the trainings with their experience and their own capacity. So they are not just financial supporters. They also get involved quite a lot. And then they can also support some other long-term projects. They can help us to improve a concept or to test a solution or pilot a project. We can then scale uh, looking for extra funding, but it's always very helpful to kickstart in type of project. And then if, if other companies want to get involved, uh, first, everything starts uh, with a dialogue. So they can reach out to us, uh, to, to our headquarters. There's a person specifically dedicated uh, on building these type of partnerships. And then we can see how we are a good match in how their support might meet SF's goals and strategy and how can we help each other. And then there are several pre-fixed ways on how they can support and then what we can give in return in terms of communication, etc. And finally, Armando, what are the priorities for TSF this year and going into 2023? We are always trying to be better prepared for emergency response. So we are always testing our equipment, trying to, to build on our current capacity. So we are constantly training our volunteers, trying to bring more people uh, to support on missions. And, and also we're trying to build uh, on our capacity to better support other humanitarians because they, as I've said before, the traditional role of TSF is to support the coordination of the response and then the affected population. But we're trying to do more and more direct support to other those, the Red Cross as well, and try to see what they might need on the field, but also in other types of emergencies. And we are building up on these strategic alliances that can bring our capacity where it is needed the most.
And this will mean to grow our own capacity, of course, in terms of human resources and equipment. Yeah. And then specifically for this regional base for Latin America and the Caribbean, by the end of October or beginning of November, training for the Caribbean Disaster Emergency Management Agency. It's not only a training, it's a capacity building project. It will bring equipment and also training for their emergency response teams within the regional response mechanism for the Caribbean, supporting countries on any emergencies that they might face. Then we have also the informative screens project running, and we want to build up on that as well. We have several screens in shelters in Mexico, but we want to better cover Central America and South America as well, focusing maybe on Panama, having a dangerous passage for migrants through the jungle. So we are aiming on that to, to bring this technology to be part of the humanitarian community response and then to South America as well to grow from the pilot and bring it also to Colombia, but maybe other South American countries. Great. Thank you, Armando. Some really interesting thoughts for our listeners. And I wish you the best of luck for the rest of 2022. Thank you very much, Simon. For more information about Babel and other episodes of this podcast, head to www.babelpr.com forward slash podcasts.